Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the show. Mike Max, 7-9 tonight. Twins lost today in 10 innings. Tonight we'll focus a lot on what has changed or not changed in the last two years since George Floyd lost his life and a whole bunch of different things changed immediately in Minneapolis. I also invite you to text in anytime at 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226 with the very answer to that question. What's changed in the last two years in Minneapolis or in the Twin Cities? Because I think a lot has. 651-461-9226. Certainly, my life changed after that week, and so too did our first guest. Um, Neither one of us could have predicted what happened that week, and by the end of the week, how our lives would change at least forever for the last two years. P.J. Hill joins me on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Of course, he's been very active in the community, grew up in the community, great basketball players, sisters, great basketball sisters, great basketball players. Uh, but tonight we talk about the last two years and what he's seen in his community. P.J., thank you for joining us. Mike, thank you for having me, my man. How are you, sir? You know, I'm doing well, and I, I, I'm sure you too today. You know, it, it, there are certain times, you know, I, I don't want to say you ever, you, but, um, uh, it's not on your mind, but it goes back burner for a while, and then and then you get a date like this, which is, you know, the two years since George Floyd lost his life, and there's some reflection, and I know people are asking you questions and, um, uh, you, you know, taking you back to that day. Uh, let me start there, PJ. That day, I remember I was I was traveling, coming back, and I remember hearing about this incident, and I thought that doesn't sound good, but I didn't know many of the details. How how did it evolve for you? Uh, for me, great question. So my great uncle owns a church on 38th of Chicago. He's been there for 41 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so long-standing member. My mom and my great uncle were actually out there at church when it happened. Now, unbeknownst to them. They didn't know it was George Floyd. The next day, I seen it on uh, social media. And then at the time, I was living one block from there. And I just walked up there. And it was, the feeling was unreal out there. It was a lot of animosity. And a lot of people were upset, array of feelings, sad, hurt, angry. And, you know, that that's when I decided to, how do I get involved in this social justice movement and start really making a difference in the community. Because I've always been doing sports, but not on the social justice front. Sure. But that day changed my life as well. So, so you, did you start then, was that the manifestation of the beginning of when you decided the uh, march through Minneapolis? It started with athletes and it became thousands and thousands? That, that's exactly right then. The first call I made to was our current U.S. attorney, Andy Luger. 
And I said, Andy, I want to make a difference. I want to be able to change these systems that have plagued so many and really rebuild trust and legitimacy between the community and politicians, between the community and law enforcement. How do I make a difference? And that was the start of it. And so you got people together, and, and, and you know, Royce White and Rich Melzer, lots of guys participated in the Jim Peterson, Daryl Thompson. I mean, I mean, the list was long. And, started, and, I, and I remember I was tipped off to it that you guys were going to start at U.S. Bank Stadium and walk across Minneapolis. And, and um, they said, come on out. Well, I'm thinking a couple hundred people, right? I'm thinking, you know, mainly athletes and some people that they invited. I didn't had no idea that on that uh, Friday you'd have thousands of people walking through Minneapolis. What happened? How did, how did it grow so quickly? I think uh, we all yearned to a way to express ourselves in a positive manner that wasn't uh, looting the city. And that's what we, our, our mission was. How do we express our First Amendment rights and really be heard? But the thing about technology is the great equalizer. So when people got wind of us doing it, it just spread like wildfire. And so many young people are the change agents and want to be a part of change. And that's, that's how it got going. You know, there's a lot of people out there really uh, saying enough is enough. How can we make a difference? And we stood in solidarity together. P.J. Hill is our guest. You walked over to the Hennepin Bridge and, and you stopped there uh, and everybody sat down for a bit. And it was a surreal moment. And it was an incredibly peaceful moment. Uh, as I recall, and and it was you know, it, w- it was the opposite of a mob mentality. It, it was people walking uh, quietly, sometimes somber, sometimes, uh, and just making a point. How did it feel to you? Did, did it surpass anything that you expected at that point? Of course. I mean, when you look up and you're taking the knee on the bridge, and you see, you know, a sea of people as far as you can see as blocks. I mean, that first march was over seven thousand people. And then being able to speak, you know, they asked me to speak and I spoke from my heart, didn't really know what to say at a loss of words. But, you know, I can just feel the energy of people, you know, standing there with me and really trying to make a difference and hanging on to every word. I mean, it was something I never could imagine would have happened. It was that they had burned down the third precinct the night before, and then that Friday mm-hmm. you had the peaceful protest, and then Friday night uh, they shut down 35W by Bobby and Steve's, and then went over to Lake Street, and that's when Lake Street basically caught fire. That that was after your peaceful protest. What do you remember about that part of it? Did you go home that night and say, "What's going on now?" Kind of thing. What was it? Well, this is what I remember. We had left the protest. Um, a lot of people were, were leaving, and we, we encouraged everybody to go home. You know, this was our, our stance. We made our statement, and we wanted people to go home. But, you know, uh, uh, there is people coming from outside our states who are agitators. There were people in, the, in our state who were just not uh, willing to do just with protesting. They wanted to do more. Yep. And then, unfortunately, you see, you know, our, our city get looted and burned. But that's, I think, a reflection of the lack of ownership um, that so many minorities don't have in a community. People don't tear their own stuff up, but they tear stuff up that they don't feel is theirs. And you can see the disparities just by the destruction. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's easy to do something if it's not if you, if you don't own it. Of course, the Target got looted and everything else. Now we're heading towards a weekend, as you know, PJ. But we don't know what's next, really. 
and and that Saturday night there was uh, an eight o'clock curfew, and at eight o'clock uh, the law enforcement met the protesters. Uh, some of them uh, kneeling down, some of them uh, walked away over by the Kmart area in, in, in Lake Street, an area that you know well. Uh, and, and then tear gas and, and rubber bullets started to fly, and all those things. And um, we, I thought Saturday night, PJ, and you can expand on this, was more a night uh, not just about what you saw but what you didn't see because a lot of the people, the small business owners uh, from north and south Minneapolis had gathered to defend themselves because they weren't sure if law enforcement could. And they decided uh, that they would stand guard on their own property, on their own businesses that they had built through their own American dream. And, and you and I both know because I remember the fear that I had that night. That if the wrong protesters break into the wrong building where the where, where the owners and their allies or colleagues are sitting there, fully armed and ready to take them on, we could have a bloodbath here. And I and I know you know exactly of what I speak, but that was a scary time for those of us that knew what was really going on, wasn't it? Oh, uh, of course. I mean, even me and my community, I had to band together with my neighbors and watch our house every night, and mm-hmm. we made a pact that. You know, we're going to have water buckets ready and we're going to protect our neighborhood. And so I totally understand where people come like that. But when you have ownership of something, you have a sense of pride. That's what that brings. And you're not going to back down. And if the police are not going to come, then we have to band together together as a, a community, a neighborhood. And that's what so many people did. Oh, it, it, it was, I mean, I, I can remember on Lake Street at 2 in the morning and there was a neighborhood that they were doing just what you said. And I didn't realize it until we got done. There were about 10 people there. And I think there were three white people, uh, two Asian Americans, uh, three Native Americans, and, and uh, two or three African Americans. And it was like they didn't even realize it, but they, they, they were neighbors and they were bonded and, and race didn't matter. Uh, they were going to defend their neighborhood and try to help out and keep peace as best they could. So my point being, there were a number of wonderful things that I saw optically that came out of that. Oh, of course. I mean, even if you think about the, the, the peaceful protest that we did, when you look out there, Mike, and you was there, mm-hmm. most of the people out there are not black. Nope. A lot of white folks out there supporting, standing in solidarity. Asian Americans, Native Americans. You have so many. Our Somali, East African brothers and sisters. It was so diverse because it was bigger than a race. Because what we witnessed was a slow, torturous, nine-minute murder of a man. And it didn't matter if you were black or white, rich or poor man or woman, we all broke inside and we said enough is enough. doesn't matter your color. PJ, can you stand with us through a quick break? Yes. Because I want when we come back, I want to ask you how your life has changed in the last couple of years since that date. PJ Hill is our guest two years later looking back at the murder of George Floyd. Stay with us. Welcome back. Remembering George Floyd's the week that was two years later, PJ Hill, my guest, he was in the middle of it. PJ, this Sunday afternoon it looked like things were quieting down and then along came a semi-truck that at the time we thought might be on a murder mission uh later we'd find out it was an, uh, a, a terrible mistake but at the time 35w and i look at the video now and i'm sure you do and i still can't look at it because i'm sure that somebody's going to get killed when i see that video and uh everything changed again on sunday afternoon what do you remember about that because i remember visiting with you outside of u.s bank stadium yeah, man, that day was um, really surreal. Wasn't surreal. it? Oh. It was unbelievable. I mean, you know, I was on the side with the semi, 
And all I remember is hearing just honk, honk, and I turned around, and I just started thinking, oh, my God, people are going to die. Yep. And I just start pushing as many people as I can to the median, like, so they can get out the way. And really chasing the truck, you know, and trying to, you know, capture the guy. And then it was, you know, me along with a couple other people, they, uh, they, they pulled him out. And we were saying, like, no, like, we're not going to allow you to hurt him. We're not going to allow you to throw him over the edge. Um, this is not our mission. We're bigger than that. You know? And, and then you know, it, and, it came to a head again later that day at Bobby and Steve's when, when, when you know, the protesters succumbed and, and, and were arrested. And we waited, waited a long time. And, and I was there for much of it. And it was um, – at the end of it, there were, uh, I've told this story before, but there were, was an officer standing next to a man, uh, man that he'd arrested and, and they were waiting to be booked in and they were laughing and, and, uh, visiting with each other. And I found that peculiar and I went over there. And what I found out, PJ, which you also know is this really wasn't about the protesters and the law enforcement. It was about people that were expressing their opinions and people that were enforcing the law. But as you got closer to them, you realized how close they were and, and that they both wanted the same things out of life. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, what happened was, you know, the protests at times may have got a bad rap because you can't distinguish what's protest. Exactly. Uh, during the day, a peaceful one, then that transitions into, you know, a more uh, rowdy protesting and then looting at night. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to tell people. You were there, Max. Yep. You know, we got all of those people off the freeway. Um, in cooperation with the law enforcement. And then we all walked to U.S. Bank Stadium. That yep. was my goal is how do I get everybody home safe? And you heard me tell everybody, now it's time to go home go and home. obey the law. Yes. Yeah, and many did, by the way. Yeah. Many yeah. did. And and it was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. PJ, um, your life has changed a lot in the last couple of years. Not that you weren't always a figure yeah. in Minneapolis, but explain what the last two years have been like. Man, it's been uh, one heck of a roller coaster. I have found myself in a position uh, as a troop servant leader and with the opportunity to be at tables representing so many people who don't have a voice. Yeah, you've gotten um, a seat at some tables, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just honored by God. It's nothing at me. It's just my uh, gift for people. And in this social climate, a people with my a person with my skill set to be a bridge between community and the business world, between community and our elected officials. That is just my gift, Maxie, and that has brought me, um, you know, to some interesting tables. What I have done for even corporations, like a good friend of mine is Doug Baker, mm-hmm. is I've been a bridge between them and the community. But I've allowed them as uh, corporate America, the business community, people who are not really in the community, to come across the bridge in a safe manner and to really take a perspective and see what we go through on a day-to-day. And you know this as well as I do. The world moves amongst friends. So if you can really explain and if I can articulate to them, then they know it's really happening because I'm somebody that they trust. When... um you get up every day and you think about what has been and you say, what will be, what will be, what will the next two years look like? I'm very hopeful in the fact that 
a lot of people have now looked within to say, how can we make the change ourselves? What do we do or what are we not doing that is adding to this oppressive system or not, you know, tearing it down? So, so many people have done great things. I mean, I think about partnerships that were birthed out of the unfortunate events that happened to George Floyd, like the partnership between Safe Streets, Lawrence McKenzie, uh, Coach McKenzie, Al Flowers, the Unity Community, and the YMCA with the CEO, Glenn Gunderson, and them, him being a fiscal agent for so many community organizations and help move their work. Those are things that are truly make me hopeful that we can actually change the tide and change the culture and change the economic landscape for so many in the city of Minneapolis. Do you think it's happening? Is it happening at the speed you would like? It's happening. Now, the speed I would like is a whole nother question. Hmm. And here's the problem with, with a lot of the systems that's in place. You know, the city has the right heart. I chaired the economic development, economic recovery. Um, the mayor appointed me too. We gave the recommendations. And now they have to go through the legal process. But sometimes all of that bureaucracy, you know, people need funds. They need the resources now. But unfortunately, due process and all of this stuff holds that up. And so we're trying to eliminate a lot of those barriers that are keeping people from really getting the access and the resources that they need. And then the one thing that has not changed as fast as none of us want is the trust between the community and law enforcement. That has not changed. This that has not changed. You, you could stand here today and say that has not changed, huh? No, it ha- hasn't changed as fast as we would like. And it took a crushing blow when Chief Arredondo left because you know this. He was the common theme, and we all admired him. And he leveraged his credibility to really change the culture. And people believe that. Hmm. Do you ever have to worry, PJ? Do people say to you, well, PJ, you got yours, but now when do I get mine? Does that happen? Um, let me tell you, that's something that I ask myself all the time. I was given uh, an A-standard deviation gift in basketball, and I was able to use that to travel the world, to have exposure to so many things, get a great education. And now my goal is how do I look when I look for five years and I think about where my life is and how I can help so many other people prosper in this way. That's one thing that I hold really dear to my heart. I want to make sure that I don't leave people behind and I really make a difference in my community. You know, my ultimate goal, Maxie, is to make 1,000 BIPOC people millionaires. Mm-hmm. That is my goal. Help them build wealth and liberate them economically. Wow. PJ, I appreciate it very much. Perfect leadoff, man, for what we're doing tonight. Coach McKenzie is going to join us in the next segment. Someone is near and dear to you. Oh, he's uh, awesome. Yeah, but thank you for what you've done. And, uh, you know, there are things that came out of that that I'm forever bonded to people that I already knew, and, and, and you are one of them. And that's why I so enjoy running India because we have so many things now <laughs> that we have in common to talk about, and I appreciate it. Yes, sir. I'm grateful. Have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Thank, thank you, PJ. PJ Hill. Nice enough to join us and give us some perspective. So too will Larry McKenzie when we come back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.